All right. Hello and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Sandy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we are here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your life. In that order. Absolutely. How you doing, Alex? Andy, I'm good. I, um, well, I, I'm actually, you know, I, I decided to take a little trip. Like, this is, this is love-hate relationship, you know, on the road a little bit. <laughs> I say on the road. I'm three hours away from my usual haunt, and I'm uh, pet-sitting for some of our delightful friends up in uh, or down in Atlanta so down for I've been you surrounded by f- yeah I'm down f- I'm with a bunch of fuzzy creatures and you know that's delightful it's always a good thing man I I wish I had fuzzy creatures around here I've just got the scaly ones yeah but your scaly ones are cute in their own right they you are know? they are I like your I like your scaly little critters I love my scaly little critters they just don't when they bark it's concerning Snakes bark? No, that's that that was the joke. <laughs> oh, okay. You were I thought you were about to drop some like tariff Okay, no. Alright. I gotta tell you this. So I, I so our 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 friends who I'm house sitting for, uh, they gave me the list of all this stuff and like they have they have a nice fenced in backyard where, you know, the dog gets let out, the cats like to hunt voles and things like that. Mm. And they told me about how apparently they have owls. Okay. In their backyard. So, like, the cats aren't allowed out at night because of the owls. And they took me outside to, like, here in the night. <laughs> and they were, and they, no, and they were, they were straight up like, we discovered it was owls because we heard what sounded like monkeys. Like, the hooting of monkeys. <laughs> okay. And it was only later that we, like, when, that I like one of them went out to investigate with a flashlight that they discovered it was owls, but it was freaking owls that you know if if I didn't know they were owls when I heard them I might have thought they might have been monkeys. So you tell me barking snakes and I'm like, okay, all right. The more you know, and knowing is half the battle. No, it just you scared me for a second there. <laughs> well, right. That was so when when they do make noise, it's usually a sign of very, very, very bad things. <laughs> well, right. okay. Do you, do you want to explain kind of what's a little different about this episode versus some of our other ones? Yeah, I figure we'll get in front of this bullet. Um, so today's conversation might seem a little different. Uh, simply because this is actually the second time we're having it where we're, we've, we've broken our podcasting cherry and officially lost an episode. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like I've told one or two people about this and they've all kind of gone, well, we all listen to podcasts. I feel like this happens to every podcaster. <laughs> Everyone I know of has, has, has had maybe not the specific difficulty, um, yeah. but a difficulty. Yeah. So this is episode four, take two, two yeah and and to be clear uh everyone we recorded the whole episode we like up like Andy oh yeah i was all our editing and stuff like andy was working on it i was in post and and it it went it went bye-bye <laughs> uh, yeah 
So, like, I still have all of my half, so if we wanted to upload our original conversation, but all you hear is my voice followed by extended silences. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's an option, but... Uh... You know, sometimes it's that's how this podcast seems anyway, when I just kind of wind you up and let you go, but... I, I figured, wow, thank you. <laughs> I figured it would be easier just to redo it than to try and like time my reactions and 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 sentences to your previous recording. So you, you, you were gracious enough to agree that we were going to do this again. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm totally down. I really enjoyed the conversation the first time. Um, so, yeah. That's right. You were saying, like... So, so we're going to get into it. You were saying this was something you wanted to talk more and more about, and uh, so now you get your shot. So really, let's look at the glass half full here, and we're going to get some more awesome convo. You know, I, every time I've ever seen a glass that actually had a half amount of water in it, like, no one ever actually goes, oh, look at this half-empty glass. Like, <laughs> literally no one actually does that. That particular saying is bullshit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna... I will go ahead and get us started. All right. Um, so, it's my turn. It's my turn to bring some love. And, um, Andy, I, I, I'm gonna start by uh, re-asking you. Uh, question please please feel free to take it take it as far back in your head as you'd like to sure my love for this episode is a gentleman by the name of rob paulson and don't you dare make a fight club reference (laughs) bob bob had bitch tits uh big bob um but so before i get into rob paulson let me start off by asking you andy how familiar are you with the art of voice acting Specifically, like, animation voice acting, but sure. also voiceover in general. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for someone who wanted to be a full-fledged actor for as long as I did, it's actually kind of a blind spot. I'm, I, I, I understand the concept, and I'm a fan of the work, but aside from like the 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 titans of voice acting like Tara Strong I'm I'm really pretty green on the subject. Yeah. And that makes total sense, totally understandable that you would feel that way. Voice acting is seems to constantly be this blind spot for a lot of people, even even big time animation fans don't seem to really make the connection that that is in fact, you know, a person getting in front of that microphone and bringing this character to life through their voice. Right. Um, now, Rob Paulson features into this because I I would personally argue that Rob Paulson is. I mean, it's a it's a verifiable fact. Rob Paulson is one of the most prolific voice actors in the entire. I would say he's he's had a career that's been it's probably in its fourth closing in on its fifth decade, hmm. and he is so ubiquitous in that I can I can and I will in just a moment run off a list of characters he's voiced, and just about everybody will be able to pick out a few that he voiced that meant a lot to them. And this is something he talks about extensively in a lot of his work, but I will get into that. So, to intro, uh, Rob Paulson was born and raised in uh, Grand Blanc, Michigan, outside of Flint and Detroit. 
despite singing in choirs and acting in some local plays as a child, his real passion, and you'll find this amusing, was hockey. Yay! I already love him. And, and he wanted to be a professional hockey player like his idol, Gordie Howe. Sure. Now, Andy, can you, can you explain to the people and to me who Gordie Howe is? Because I know he's important to hockey people, but... Yeah, Gordie Howe in this day and age is like the grandfather of hockey. I can tell you, somebody who's pretty unversed in the sport, I can say Wayne Gretzky and you know who that is, right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Gordie Howe was Wayne Gretzky's idol and his favorite player. And the dude uh, played into his, I think, late 50s. And was an absolute legend for uh, Detroit and for the Hartford Whalers. And there's something, he has a thing named after him called a Gordie Howe hat trick, which is when you score a goal, have an assist, and get in a fight all in the same game. So he is. Are you shitting? Yeah, no, I'm not shitting you. That is the Gordie Howe hat trick. <laughs> wow. So, They've even codified the fighting to that extent. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, God. so it makes a lot of sense uh, growing up in Michigan, probably watching the Red Wings, this, kid, this, uh, this guy being a Gordie Howe fan. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. So um, to hear Rob Paulson tell it, uh, when it became clear that he didn't have the natural ability, i.e. he got uh, shoulder-checked by an enormous Michigander, uh, as a teenager and realized, wow, I don't think I have what it takes to be a hockey player. <laughs> uh, he turned to performing. So after spending several years touring in rock bands and theater companies, he moved to Los Angeles, ostensibly to be an on-screen actor. Now, in 1983, he auditioned for and was cast as a couple of minor characters in the old G.I. Joe cartoon. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! So... If you remember with, like, the funky-ass little Snake Eyes voiced all the Mattel-sponsored G.I. Oh, yeah, no. That shit was was Hasbro just trying to sell toys. The best G.I. Joe, for sure. Oh, God. (laughs) So that's how we started. And pretty much ever since that, he's worked mostly in animation. It just kind of... He fell a little backwards into it, but, you know, it, it... it has been his bread and butter ever since. The way he likes to say it is, uh, it's it's the gig that put braces in his kid's mouth. You know? <laughs> so, um, I'm going to just run down a list of some of my personal favorite roles of his in no real particular order. Okay, go for it. And and afterwards, uh, do me a favor, try to keep like an informal count, maybe just on your fingers or something, of how many of these you recognize or are meaningful to you. Okay. So I've got uh, Yakko, Pinky, and Dr. Scratch and Sniff, all from Animaniacs. Hello, nurse! Who's that? Lordy, lordy, do! No! Now I'm in the stool. Uh, Raphael in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Raphael is cool, but bruising a break. Donatello in the 2012 TMNT show. Relax, I'm not gonna hurt you. Uh, Steelbeak in Darkwing Duck. Way, hey, hey! Can it be? Throttle in Biker Mice from Mars, Haji in Johnny Quest, which I acknowledge, and he acknowledges, is a little problematic. He totally admits to that today, but it was the 80s. Foulmouth in Tiny Toon Adventures, Norman Norman Meyer in the Addams Family cartoon, Arthur in The Tick. Not in the face, not in the face! Stanley uh, Ipkiss in The Mask cartoon. Somebody stop me! 
Hydro Man in Spider-Man the Animated Series. Hey, hey, I know why you broke up with me, Mary Jane. Carl and Jimmy Neutron. What we have is beautiful and you can't destroy it. PJ in a goofy movie. Max! <laughs> Whoa! Small wilderness, dude! Spike in the Land Before Time movies. Jackie! Uh, Experiment 625 in Lilo and Stitch. Uh, Mark Chang from the Fairly Odd Parents. You Trust them, for they live in a sewer. You mentioned Tara Strong earlier. And Snuffles in Rick and Morty. Where are my testicles, Summer? <laughs> so, uh, in 35 years, he's done over 250 voices. That's just a small sampling. Yeah, I mean, I, I was counting on my toes by the end of that there. Certainly, those every last one of those are characters I've heard of, and more a few more than a few of them are near and dear to my heart. Yeah, yeah. So, a big reason why I wanted to talk about Rob Paulson is um, part of how I got obsessed with voice actors, and it's been an obsession of mine recently, was I, started, I got really into a podcast he started called Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson. <laughs> which uh, has since morphed into, like, a weird little interview show on the Alpha. It was on Nerdist Network for a while. It's, I think it's on Alpha now. You might see, like, little cartoon ads on Facebook. But it's basically him sitting down with voiceover actors, talking about the work, talking about their lives, really bringing voice acting to the front. Because so many people love these cartoons, have these emotional, has these emotional connections to these cartoons, and they don't know the first thing about the people who voice them. So I really wanted to bring out Rob Paulson so that I could talk about the art form of voice acting and why exactly it is that even though we all love these characters, we don't seem to think about the voices behind them. No, and I think that's a great and noble endeavor. Before we get into that, there, there's just one thing I want to call out that I think we need to get into why was he Raphael on the show, but Donatello in the movie? No, so uh, he was Donatello, not in the movie. He was Donatello in the... I, I shouldn't have said TMNT there, because that's confusing. He was not in the 2007 movie. He was in the 2012 cartoon that was on Nickelodeon. Okay, okay. But, so, but why not just cast him as Raphael? <laughs> uh, so he talks about this, actually. He basically got a phone call, like... He, took, he got the gig as Raphael. He did the run as Raphael. He's great Raphael. But what basically happened was he got a phone call from the people who were developing this particular new TMNT show. It was going to be a brand new TV show for Nickelodeon. Uh, and they wanted him to come in and audition for Donatello. They didn't just offer him the gig. But they wanted him to come in and audition. And he straight up told his agent, like, they know that I was Raphael, right? Like... <laughs> I don't like straight up. He's he's because he's he has a very he has a very nice attitude about rejection. Like I kind of envy this man's attitude about getting rejected from gigs because he talks about constantly auditioning for stuff. He he auditioned for uh, Fry in Futurama and lost out to Billy West. Oh wow! And, okay. Yeah, but he's he's got a super great because he will straight up say like no one else could have done that role better than Billy, not even me. But anyway, on the subject of Donatello, he was like, they know that I was Raphael, right? Because I don't want to show up there and then be like, oh, that was a great job. Uh, we'd love to cast you. Oh, shit, no. You were in the old show. Let's not have you. They specifically asked him to come in because they had an idea for how they wanted Donatello to sound. Yeah. And they really liked a lot of his previous work for that role. They liked him playing this kind of awkward, nerdy-type character. And he's played characters like that. Like, 
Hell, he is Carl Weezer. He is PJ. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. He's played plenty of those types of characters. So he went in, he auditioned for Donatello, and they were like, we want you to be Donatello. We don't care that you were Raphael before. And um, it's funny because he, the way he, tell, he tells a story where he says, like, his son likes to make fun of him and go, hey, you know, you were Raphael. 25 years later, you were Donatello. If you live 50 more years, you can be the other two turtles. <laughs> that is... That is actually a really fascinating facet of this work in this profession. I don't think we talked about this in the original cut. The idea of voice and visual being separated. And if you are skilled enough at changing your voice, you can give life to to different characters, even in the same universe. That's, that's actually really cool. I, I really like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's interesting because like, so Paulson is one of these actors who will put on different voices. Like Throttle from Biker Mice from Mars is him basically doing like a Clint Eastwood impression. Yeah. That's what he says it is. He basically like messed around with a Clint Eastwood style voice and kind of made it his own. And that's how he came up with Throttle versus like Steelbeak and Darkwing Duck, who is just like... He's got kind of this dopey type of voice. Like, I, I can't even do a good impression of it. But, like, he'll go through those different characters. Now, compare that to someone like, say, Lorenzo Music, who voiced Garfield. And just straight up did his own natural voice. Like, that is what Lorenzo Music honestly sounded like in real life. I had no idea of that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or think about, and, and, I mean, there's alternatives there. Because, like, think of Clancy Brown. Sure, um, sure. Who is Lex Luthor in the Bruce Timm animated uh, DC Universe. And the frickin' Kurgan from Highlander. <laughs> and Mr. Krabs in Spongebob. Oh my god, you're right. Oh, wow! It can be only one. Oh. See, see, that's the that's the thing that I constantly get when I point this out to people. I freaking watched Thor Ragnarok this afternoon, and I'm sitting there with our friend Chris, and I hear Surtur's voice, and I'm like, oh my god, that's Clancy Brown. And Chris looks over at me, he's like, what do you mean? And, he, and he, I go, that's Clancy Brown! That's Mr. Krabs, man! <laughs> but when he's Lex Luthor, he's just doing his own voice. Sure. That is just Clancy Brown. That's the voice that you know Clancy Brown uses when he's telling his kid to not spill milk out of the cereal bowl. Like, that is just his voice. But then he does Mr. Krabs or whatever other voices he's doing, you know? Absolutely. Oh, man. So there's people who you kind of want their natural voice and then you want, you know, the weird shit that they do. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And, I mean... This might be a topic for a whole nother episode, and I think I touched a little bit on this last time we talked, but another voice actor who I love, and the man has an IMDb page that is terrifying, <laughs> but okay. Frank Welker. Oh, sure, sure. Frank, Frank Welker has voiced Freddie Jones in Scooby-Doo since the original series, back in like 1969, okay? Sure. Frank Welker is also every animal voice you've ever heard that wasn't done by D. Bradley Baker. Like, Frank Welker is Abu in Aladdin, as well as Raja the Tiger. <laughs> Frank Welker is the Totoro. Frank Welker is all of the lion roars in The Lion King. 
Oh, Frank Welker is the dinosaurs in Land Before Time, like the shark teeth. Yeah, I'm looking. The, all of those, all of those, are just Frank Welker morphing his body and his voice into something horrifying. Absolutely, I'm looking at it now. 822 credits on his IMDb. There is a website. I don't remember what it's called, but it basically like takes the box office gross for an entire movie and applies it to an actor to try and see which actors have been involved in the most money-making of all. And Frank Welker is at the top of that list more than anybody else. Because every time you need a dog barking noise or every time you need any, any of this stuff, you know, Frank Welker's the guy you call. And the only time you don't call Frank Welker is when Frank Welker's busy, <laughs> and then you call D. Bradley Baker, who, you know, apart from being Klaus in American Dad, is also Perry the Platypus. <laughs> yeah. I, and a series of other horrifying creatures. I guess I just kind of blindly assumed you would actually get a dog or or, or, or whatever, but no, I, it, it makes more sense to just fully in your own uh, animal sounds from somebody who can get you that on cue. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great story that um, Frank Welker used to do stand-up like way back in the day. And he he was on a movie. He did a movie with Elvis Presley. Uh, this show ain't no good. And Elvis used to like just bug the shit out of Frank <laughs> Welker to be like, hey Frank, do that bit where you're a cat and a dog fighting. <laughs> And it's literally just Frank Welker making the noises of a cat and a dog having a fight in an alley. <laughs> and it made Elvis laugh to no end. I I could see it. I that that's a moment that needs to be in a biopic ASAP. Yeah. I love it. And and I mean that's and that's the thing. These voice acting is the kind of thing that's done by like there might be three hundred people. Most of them in L.A. Yeah. doing probably 95% of the work. It's very tough to break into. And the people who do it are serious about it. Like, holy hell are they ever serious about it. And they're so good at it, too. Like, it's this extremely brilliant, honed craft. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. Um, one of the other perks of the job i'm sure one of the other reasons that these people who are voice actors hold on to being one of the voice actors um is the comfort aspect and and i have a a story that i've remembered about this so michael rosenbaum uh played lex luther in smallville and he was also the voice of the flash in the justice league cartoon and okay, I, cool. I can recall in an interview him talking about how how vastly he preferred his work as the Flash solely because it meant he could show up in the recording booth, uh, you know, at ten in the afternoon in his pajamas, do his line reads and go, as opposed to uh, being Lex Luthor and being in a primetime WB show and the hours that came along with that. So basically. <laughs> You know, there's there's a comfort factor, and if you happen to be, I, I guess, a little bit lazy, <laughs> that works out for you. I mean, there's lazy, but there's also... Um, did you ever watch Batman the Brave and the Bold? I did not. I missed that one. Okay, so it only ran for, like, three seasons. It's very... It's actually kind of nice. Like, it's a very different tonal show, uh, but it's wonderful. So Diedrich Bader plays 
Batman. Do you know who Diedrich Bader is? I do not. So if I showed you a picture of Diedrich Bader's face, you'd recognize him. He was Oswald in the Drew Carey show. He's uh, Ron Livingston's neighbor in Office ah. Space. The guy who's like, what would, you, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> like, that, I love that is it. Okay. Oh, wow. And he's Batman. Okay. Yeah, okay. So the way he talks about that gig, because he'd done a little bit of voiceover here and there. Not a lot. He'd never done a steady gig. Uh, he auditions for this steady gig as Batman, and he talks about how wonderful it was because he just had his first child mm. right at that time. And he was like, this gig was perfect because I go down there at, you know, 2 p.m., like a couple days a week, go and do my session, and the sessions got shorter the more I learned what I was doing and the more practice I got. Sure. And then I could be then I could go take care of my kid. Huh. Like he talks about that. Alright. Now now a thing that I, I'm nervous about in mentioning that though is that there is a really there, there's a really annoying attitude even in the industry about voice actors, where they act like it's not real acting. And the fact of the matter is, if you ever see the studio performances, if you ever see footage of these people working, if you see footage of Mark Hamill recording the Joker, sure, oh. the, the transmutation of the body he puts himself in, the way that he enacts that character through the voice... It's real acting, and there's a terrible attitude in regards to that. I want to tell you this. I know I didn't tell you this the last time we recorded this. I learned this story not that long ago, and it breaks my heart. So we mentioned Billy West earlier. He's Fry. He's Doug from the show Doug. Sure, sure. Like, he's, 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 he's a lot of great characters. He's the red Eminem. One of, yes. Yes, he is, along with J.K. Simmons, who's the yellow yeah. Uh, and J.K. Simmons is beautiful, and I love him. But, uh, so Billy West, uh, kind of his big break in, not not his absolute big break, but, like, what he felt, and what ultimately was, like, the arguably biggest role for him at the time, was he was Daffy and Bugs, and I think Porky, in Space Jam. Oh, wow. Mel, Mel, Mel Blanc was dead. Like yeah, Mel Blanc, sure, the guy who sure. originated these voices, he was he was dead. Um, and Mel Blanc is a fascinating story unto himself. I, I might I might do a whole deep dive into Mel Blanc. I would like that. He yes, is, he is incredible. Um, but so Billy West took over this, and Billy West turned in what he knew at the time was an incredible performance, and he worked his ass off doing all of these characters studying them, embodying them, because he's like, I'm gonna be fucking Bugs and Daffy. Like, this is important. This is an important moment. I'm the first person to voice these characters after Mel Blanc's death. Fast forward. Space Jam premieres. Billy West and the other voice actors, including June Ferre, who voiced Granny in Space Jam, and has and voiced Granny until her death right. last year. Right, was Grant was the only voice of Granny. Is Granny, yes. All of these voice actors, when they showed up to the premiere, security told them they couldn't come into the main theater. That the actual screening was for talent only. And they had to go to the theater adjacent, the next door theater, for the overflow. 
Wow. Okay, that that pisses me off. That is some that is some messed up talent segregation shit. Who are the star who are the stars of Space Jam? It is Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny, and you just told Bugs Bunny to go wait in the adjacent theater. So yeah, so wait, I, I really gotta figure this out. It's it, it's Michael Jordan and it's it's what's his face from Jurassic Park and Seinfeld and it, Wayne it, Newton. It, it's Wayne Newton and 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 it's Bill Murray. Who else is in the first theater? Come on. Yeah, like I wonder if maybe you get Danny DeVito because they did get Danny DeVito to voice a character and they right. put it on the poster like and featuring the voice performance of Danny DeVito. Which, no disrespect to Danny DeVito, he's a great actor. Whoops! Oh, I dropped my monster condom that I used for my magnum dong. But something that's come up a lot recently has been um, a lot of, like, quote-unquote, the Hollywood talent mm-hmm. taking all the big animation jobs in movies. Sure, sure. The things, things that used to be reserved there. And, you know, because that way they can attach those people's names. Right. So now all the voice actors who legitimately turn in the better performances and and like these these regular actors are totally like Lewis Black on the set of Inside Out went in for sessions with various like professional voice actors and he was like I have no idea how you guys do this you are amazing I just get in there and I do my act but you <laughs> have you you do incredible things like and that's Lewis Black. Lewis Black hates everything. Hey, ding. <laughs> what? Isn't, isn't that one of his bits? Isn't the title one of his bits, Lewis Black hates everything? Or am I totally getting that wrong? Uh, I, I don't... doesn't make sense. I, I don't remember that one, but... I mean, hey. Uh, no. Tell you what, if we ever... If we ever let's, let's, set, let's set an intention into the universe that... Like, our dream one day, the pinnacle of this podcast, is if we can get Lewis Black to come on and do a hate segment. Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. That's how, that's how we'll know we'll made it. That is, that is now in the universe. <laughs> All right, so continue. So, but yeah, so I hear that story. I hear about someone like Billy West not getting to sit in the premiere of the movie that he is ostensibly starring in. Because... What do do people just think that Bugs Bunny comes out of nothing? Like yeah, no, that's that's nuts. Especially you, you'd think Hollywood would be uh, chomping at the bit for more opportunities to uh, you know pump people up and uh, make a make make a to do of the whole event. Maybe not even for moralistic reasons, but just for the this is this is a party reasons. Yeah. So I. And, and, and to bring it back to Rob Paulson, this podcast that he did and the show that he does and, and even just like his Twitter feed, like he, his Twitter handle is at Yakko Pinky, by the way. <laughs> um, I highly recommend following him. But like, he'll just tell these stories about how, how he will, like, one thing he does constantly is... Uh, he will do phone calls to sick kids in hospitals and he'll do the voices. He finds out like, Oh, such and such kid is a really, really big fan of Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. So he'll get on the phone and just be like, 
and just be like, hi there, Mikey, this is your buddy Donatello. I just wanted to tell you that, you know, uh, I just want you to hang in there. Like, he will sit there and talk to these kids in these cartoon voices. He, and he goes to conventions, and he does whatever voice people want. Like, people will go up, and they'll just be like, hi, Mr. Paulson, you know, I'm such a huge fan of Pinky, and it'll just be like, oh, well, Pinky's a big fan of you, (laughs) or whatever it is, and... But the way, but he tells the story, and he's like, people weep, people weep when they hear these sure. voices because for our, for a lot of us, you know, especially those of us who kind of escaped into these cartoons, to hear that voice in your face that way so suddenly, like it's such an emotional impact, and they get no credit, they get so little respect. They're very they're, compared to what some of their projects make. They're not really compensated in the same way. Like, how much fucking money do, like, sitcom actors get on residuals? How much money is Bill Cosby still pulling off of reruns from The Cosby Show, yeah. which BET is, are still, is still running? Oh, I didn't know that. That's, but, that's problematic. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's going on. Or, or you know, even less, less problematic than that. Like, how many residuals is Jerry Seinfeld still pulling for Seinfeld? I like Seinfeld. Seinfeld's fine. I don't have anything against that. But why aren't the people... Why isn't John DiMaggio getting the same amount of residuals every time they rerun Adventure sure. Time? Because he's Jake right, the Dog. Right. And, I, and no one else could be Jake the Dog like John DiMaggio. Just like no one else could be Bender, like John DiMaggio. Yeah. So I'm sure they get something for the success of that, but I guarantee you they're not making the residuals that those others are making, and they're not being paid for the recording sessions because they're basically treated like studio musicians. Sure. You're paid for your session. If you're lucky, maybe you'll get a cut on on back-end syndication. Maybe, but probably not. Because they're contracts, they're freelancers, basically. Sure, and I'm sitting here struggling. You know, why? Why is it a? Why is it a one-way street? Why is it, uh, for lack of a better term, visual actors can break into the world of voice acting, but voice actors are? Because I'm, I'm sure there is some, some of a oh you don't don't try this don't do this about it why why can't voice actors get on a a an actual movie you know yeah i mean a lot of voice actors come to it from other stuff like like i like clancy brown does the occasional live action gig rob paulson was in like an episode of big time rush randomly (laughs) he was yeah like he, he and he talks about it on his podcast he's like so I did an audition for this, like, big-time Rush show, and I guess I'm going to play a character in this two-episode arc. It's going to be weird. I haven't done on-screen in, like, five <laughs> years. And the last time I did on-screen, it was, like, for a commercial. Or so. Like, he just he doesn't do a... It's not that he's against it. It's just that, like, those opportunities don't necessarily present themselves in the right, same right. way. Some voice actors don't exactly have leading person mm, looks. Yeah, I guess that's the trump card. Yeah, and I mean... Again, alternatively, you'll see him pop up occasionally. I remember seeing Clancy Brown in Punisher, or in Daredevil Season 2. Right. Um, there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother where Kevin Michael Richardson is on as they're like this random, just giant, super sexy black <laughs> man that they meet in this bar. And I'm like, oh my god, that's Kevin Michael Richardson! <laughs> 
That is Gantu from Lilo and Stitch, motherfuckers. That's li- that's little Cleveland Junior. Cleveland Junior. That's another Joker. <laughs> yeah, even that. So and and there you go. So I I just gave an entire giant list of voice actors here. Yeah. Um, anyone listening out there, I highly encourage you listen. If you want to start with Rob Paulson, I mean, you can even pull up the archives of his old podcasts on like Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever. Um, I highly recommend go back listen to some of those interviews are amazing i learned so much about a lot of these incredible voice actors and i I highly encourage you look at the imdb pages for some of these people because you'd be amazed how much glee and joy you can get out of any sure sure yeah the uh, the audio editing for this one is already going to be fun (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) all right so that's my thoughts on rob paulson um i love him dearly please follow him online um check out his projects Watch the credits of the animation that you watch, yeah, guys. Sure. Uh, honestly, because these people do incredible work, and I don't think they're appreciated enough. And I would let any way I can highlight that. I, I and I'm probably going to do another thing about another voice actor at some point. But I I really really love highlighting. Yeah, that. I mean, it, so. and it's it's there is my there is it's, it's a great topic. I, I'm really glad. Uh, I'm really glad you brought it to the table, and we could we could discuss on it. You know. Um, Again, Again, yeah, no. I mean, part of my part of my woe for losing the episode is I I really like this one. I, I liked this uh, I liked this conversation, and I, did, I didn't want it to be uh, lost to the annals of time. Is is that 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 the, the, the annals the, of time, the, Andrew? The giant, annals of giant time. space butthole. <laughs> giant space butthole. Uh... All right, let's pivot. Now back, now, now back to serious matters. Eh, the hate is another one of mine this week that is not uh, not really too much of a soapbox for me to stand on. We we talked about this in the first cut. Uh, this is going to come across very much as me being an angry grandpa on a porch shaking my cane at the kids on their skateboards. And I'm going to make fun yep, of you for but, it. Uh, so. But you know, I, I, I still, I still, after after talking about this with you, I still have some grievances, uh, and and so let's delve into them. My hate this week is on esports, uh, and specifically two two very specific aspects of esports, entertain uh, electronic sports. So. I'm going to give okay. it... Okay. I, I was assuming it wasn't ecstasy sports. No, that's like, something else. Although, how much better would sports be? Since you're here, I want you to have something. It's ecstasy. You should take it. Like, they're already taking other drugs. Like, okay, never mind. That'll be a pitch for another day. <laughs> hey, we, we know you're on coke and horse and all this. Let's Let's do some ecstasy and throw a football around. Okay, uh, so esports. So uh, I'm going to give a, a pretty brief uh, history lesson for anybody who is unfamiliar with what is becoming the most popular, both from a viewership and a financial um, sense, the most popular sport in the world. So, okay. okay. So along with the rise of the internet comes with the rise of internet gaming. And we go from, you know, Pong to Nintendo to uh, the the modern day age. And in 1998, a uh, Blizzard comes out with a game called StarCraft II, 
and it's basically okay. the space version of Warcraft. Starcraft 2 is okay. pretty popular in America and it is insane in South Korea. It becomes the game. It becomes the national pastime. It becomes the thing like like people op- uh, people in Korea open up internet gaming cafes just so that you can go in there and play Starcraft and people have died in those cafes because they didn't stop playing Starcraft. That's how popular this game was. Um, that's this game was so popular that it became a thing to watch televised matches of the game. And somewhere along the line, people realized somebody realized, okay, people are coming in in mass to watch these two dudes play a a couple rounds of Starcraft. What else are they going to come watch for? And with that, esports was born. It is pretty simply the idea of, people playing these competitive games and then other people watching them. And this thing is taken off to the point where there are uh, uh, dozens and dozens of pro gaming leagues. The biggest one is called major league gaming. And it is a, a, it, it is a real thing. It is as real as major league baseball or the NHL. Um, and the way it works is you you divvy up the different kinds of games. You know, there, there are several kinds of genres. There's fighters, which is stuff like, um, you know, Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom oh, and stuff like that. You have uh, Arena. Okay. I've played that in our arcade, you know, that's... I'm familiar with those. Right, sure. No, some of these are going to be very familiar. There's fighters, there's, you know, there's your shooters, so people playing Counter-Strike or Call of Duty or uh, Overwatch is the real big one right now. There, There is an Overwatch league which spans the world to the point where Orlando has a team, uh, Japan has a team, Boston has a team, London has a team, and that is the league. And, like, they, they competitively play against each other. Um... So okay. you got fighters, you got shooters, you have arena games, which is like League of Legends and Dota. Um, you've got Battle Royale, which is kind of the newest big one, which is uh, stuff like PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and Fortnite, which I play and I love. All of these things I have no problem with. And I want to get out in front and say I have no problem with these things as a form of televised entertainment. I have no problem with these as a form of competitive uh, league play, I guess. I'm, I'm down with it. I think it's cool. What I have a grievance with for no real reason other than I think it's weird is this last popular genre, which is sports games. So your Madden, your NBA 2K, your 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 NHL 18s, your actual sport games being mm-hmm. competitively played and people making uh, a, a you know a, a virtual hockey league and going off and doing that. The NFL making and sponsoring a Madden league. I was actually just doing a little bit of research today and I found out. Um, let me get to it here. Um, there is a Formula One racing esports draft, which is going to be going on sometime next week. So Formula One racing, one of the coolest kinds of racing there is. 
the sport itself has taken the time to go out of its way and make a draft and and have competitive meetups or whatever for people to play Xbox Formula One racing. And I I don't I don't get okay. this. This is like like this is me shaking my cane. I don't understand this, and I and I still don't after. After talking about it once before already, I don't get the appeal of a thing that you can actually go and see. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. Okay. Uh, and I don't remember how I tore you apart for this last time, but um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna wade the waters a little bit. Uh, and and see kind of what cracks. Do you play any sports video games? I, I actually do. You know, we've discussed my hockey fanaticism, and to my... Sure. You know what? No, not to my shame. I'm not ashamed of it. I, I have played every NHL sports game uh, of the past decade. So, so, yes, yes, to answer your question. Okay, and how do you like them? I like them just fine. You know, I, I think the best thing is it is a, it is a way for me to kind of keep my fix going as it were during the time when the sport is in the off season. So, you know, the months of June through October, when there's no actual hockey to watch, I can, I can, I can play my hockey. Sure. And that, I, I can see it if, if that were the case, but what my research has led me to believe is that it's not. So you're over one. Okay. Now I'm 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 building a case. Uh, for the record, uh, to anyone listening, I I'm not I don't really have any background with video games. I don't really play them. I haven't for years. The last console I owned was a GameCube. Um, so yeah, I'm familiar with these things in so much as. I'm familiar with them in the zeitgeist. Now, when I played video games, I accidentally owned a couple. (laughs) In that, like, I remember, like, there was some Madden game that, like, came with a bundle pack I got. And I remember trying to play this, but I barely understand how regular football works. So (laughs) trying to play video game football was not great. Um, And I remember, I remember playing, what was it? It It's like some... Double dribble, like yeah. the old Sega basketball game, where honestly I was just like I barely understood the controls. I actually understand basketball, but like it was hard to follow. Um, right. I, and I think I'm what I'm trying to understand is why the idea of a video game that simulates a reality hits you so deeply that people are enjoying. It. And that you don't, like, and that it concerns you so much that you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, because you, you would, you're not at all bothered by the people, like, doing Marvel versus Capcom competitions or Overwatch competitions, sure. right? Like, that's fine. That's not a big deal to you. No, not at all. So the thing that separates the two for you is, like, you, it, it like, it, okay, Call of Duty ostensibly is supposed to be simulating combat situations. Right. The realism is hit or miss, but, like, okay. 
obviously it would be a tremendously horrifying thing to like let's saddle up and watch a watch a military battle uh, sure even though i'm sure. pretty sure i'm pretty i'm pretty sure there's accounts of people doing that for fun during like the civil war and you'd like you'd bring a picnic to the battle of bunker hill like <laughs> oh well okay so it, so well so are you are you talking about like reenactment fetishists no i'm talking about during the actual civil war like oh gotcha gotcha you, pe- people people would be like oh ulysses s grant's sent a battalion that's going to come to this field and our boys are going to meet them. Let's go up on the high ground, set up a picnic, and watch the battle. Well, in their defense, they didn't have video games, period. <laughs> that's true. What's 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 the Mulaney bit? Like, you wake up every morning and you go, oh, God, it's the old days. We need to find a way to pass the time. <laughs> okay, quick sidebar. Have you watched Kid, Geni- uh, Kid Gorgeous yet? Yes, I, I loved it. Okay, sidebar out. Okay, maybe maybe one of us should do Mulaney as a love later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, esport video games. I think my thing is it's there's there's a redundancy. There's a redundancy to it, and that redundancy, I point at it and I go, but but this thing, why you 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 can get this elsewhere. And you can spend the time that you're spending enjoying watching this virtual boxing match, watching an actual boxing match and, and, or you can watch the boxing match and then you can, you can spend this time watching uh, whatever else you want. Like if I I think, I think last time you did kind of um, prop up the argument of if they they being the the spectator audience of this um, enjoy watching a esports game for and, and, and that is what they like to do and that they get a sense of entertainment out of that what's the problem and i like i guess there isn't one but it it my my whole thing is the redundancy you know life is short and if you can like two things and get an entertainment from two things in the same amount of time you're getting from kind of technically this one thing, you should be doing that. Sure. Now, here's my thing. I'm going to be highly reductive for just a second. So follow me. With okay. This. What's, your, what's your gaming console of choice? Uh, I've been in the uh, Xbox family of games for a while now. Okay, okay. So obviously... If you're playing Xbox, you're you're. I assume you're using the same controller whether you're playing your hockey game or you're playing Fortnite. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. What's like a third game that's not really like either of those two that you play as well? Um, let's go with Wolfenstein because I like shooting Nazis. Okay, so you're shooting Nazis. You're doing whatever you do in Fortnite, and you're playing hockey. Yes. All in all of these, you use the same controller, right? Yes. Okay. To me, to the outside person who hasn't touched a controller since the GameCube, who, like, went over to a friend's house recently and played, like, super the new Super Smash, but they pulled out a GameCube controller for me. So, so to me, I'm, I'm sitting here going, like, okay, you obviously use different skills and muscles and motor pathways to 
play football than you would to play hockey, than you would to weightlift, than you would to play baseball. Like, all of those movements ostensibly have some things in common, but all of them are radically different movement patterns. Sure. So to me, as an outsider, watch if I were to watch you play all three of those games, but I wasn't watching the screen, I was watching you. You playing them. I would not necessarily see much of a difference, because at the end of the day, you're doing the same thing motor pathway-wise. You're pressing buttons and hitting joysticks, and, like, and, and you're using the same input system. Mm-hmm. So the part that I have trouble rationalizing is, and maybe this is because I don't play the games, is I, if I watch someone playing Marvel versus Capcom, I'm not watching it because I'm like, yo, seriously though, Magneto would kick the <laughs> shit out of Chris Redfield. <laughs> we know Magneto would kick the shit out of Chris Redfield. That's not the point. The point is that in the context of this game, these two people are trying to see if their motor pathways and their skill at timing and coordination and button pressing for this particular game matches up with one another. Mm. And to me, as long as there isn't one guy using Tekken controls versus another guy who's using NHL 18 controls... Mm -hmm you're still basically checking that. Sure. So the fact that for you, like the, the argument from you that it is a problem with a redundancy, that it's with playing virtual sports in this capacity, seems to me a lot like you're more invested in the gameplay on that level rather than the game. Like you tell me there's people signing up for a draft on Formula One virtual racing. And I assume that there are people following those players who are invested in those players. But they don't care that, oh, that that player, he's playing as my actual favorite Formula One racer. Like, that's not the investment. The investment is in the player. You're watching people play a game probably better than you could. And... It seems to me like the investment is more in that. I see you. I see. I see what you're putting down, and 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 that is. I I can understand that argument. And and for context, for anybody listening, if you are heavily emotionally invested in esports and um, have heavy opinions on this one way or another, please let us know. I am aware of it and enjoy. Like like I said, I enjoy. Um, some of the different other games of it, but I wouldn't say that I am totally um, in on the culture like some other people. And and you you know you bring up an interesting point. I play uh, fantasy sports, which does kind of do the exact thing I'm talking about, where it, it's still about the sport. It's not about the. It's not about me. It's not about the person. So the idea of these e esport sports is about uh xx reaper 7 and how xx reaper 7 is the best madden player 
okay. I, th- then it starts to make more sense to me. Yeah. So that's for me at the end of the day, like I'm not going to, tr- I'm not trying to talk you out of your hate here, but I am insisting that you examine it because you do sound like an old man yelling at a cloud. <laughs> It'll happen to you. I like, I, I have, I will, I will never ever sit down and watch an entire, like one of these matches. Sure. And we've got friends who do this shit. Yeah. And if those friends get, bought me a ticket and were like, it is important to me that you come and see this. It is a big moment in my life. I'd be like, sure, I'll be there. And someone will pan the camera <laughs> over to me. And I'm just sitting there reading a book. like, Because that, that's going to be me sure, in all this. Sure. But, but I don't know. I, I feel like... That parsing out, that that idea that it's specifically to esports, you know, it's. Do you remember the South Park episode where, like, I can't believe I'm referencing South Park because it's gotten so shitty lately. But I remember there was an there was an episode a while back where um, Kyle could not understand why Ike wanted to watch Twitch streamers, <laughs> right? Instead of actually playing the video games. Yeah. Yeah. I, and for me, go ahead. I, I didn't think about this when I was uh, deciding my hate, so I, I can see, I can see where you're leading me. But go on. Yeah, no, like to me, it's this seems like not quite that because you're not like esports or shit, but you're the fact that your attitude towards it is, well, you could be out playing the actual sport or watching the actual sport. I'm kind of like. This is, I mean, at the end of the day, every, I'm not going to pretend that esports are sports in the same way. That's like that dude who's like, well, I, I'm a chess grandmaster, so I'm clearly an athlete. It's like, <laughs> shut up, shut up, Mervin. Um, chess is a game. Mm. Chess is perfectly valid as a game. I completely acknowledge that. I wouldn't consider it a sport. Um, there are other things, um, you know, there's people who argue that shooting isn't necessarily a sport, that it's more of a game. Uh, I think there's an argument to be had there. I don't necessarily know where I fall on that. These things, these video games, I very, very much would not qualify them as sports. <laughs> but, but the fact is, some people like watching games. Sure, you know. So, so I was talking about how this is this is becoming the most popular, uh, you know, sport, quote unquote, in the world. Um, what does it what does it strike you if I say they're toying with the idea of putting this in the Olympics? Because they are. <laughs> I mean, the Olympics are kind of trash in a lot of ways, anyway. <laughs> they are. I mean, the Olympics. The Olympics roll into a city, destroy it financially, leave it behind. They're incredibly hypocritical on everything, like. Their, their stance about drug testing is backwards and forwards all the time. And I know that because my favorite sport is weightlifting. And weightlifting, admittedly, is in a lot of well-deserved trouble for that. But it's not like the IOC has a whole lot of morals, moral background. Like, they don't have a lot to stand on, sure, the IOC. Sure. Like, they are, they are so corrupt. They let so many things slide. They do care so much about the money. They don't look after their athletes. They there's so much to be said about the Olympics being horrible. So you telling me <laughs> that another sport is going to join the Olympics, and I'm like, eh, 
All right, all right, all right. fine. <laughs> They're probably going to throw weightlifting out next time, so I won't even have any reason to watch the Olympics at all because we can't, you know, weightlifters can't get their shit together as far as drugs are concerned. But like, okay, you throw you throw esports in there. That's fine. Whatever. That's okay. I just I wanted to see how that would strike you because I I read that and I was like, okay, come on now. Like, well, they have they have fucking horse dancing, you know. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. A quest, like, like if you want to talk to me about equestrian racing being a sport, okay, I there's parts of that I don't like. Part of it, part of that has to do with me like caring about the animals, and part of that has to do with like, yes, I believe there is probably a there's a lot of skill involved with being a good like horse jockey, for instance. But you know, yeah. If your horse is in shitty shape, that's not really you, you know. Sure, sure, okay, all right. I, th- I think we found a, so. I think we found another hate here, and I I look forward to getting into that. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Tell you what, like when when the Olympics start getting a little bit nearer, I'll, I'll plan that, and I'll do I'll do a hate extravaganza for the Olympics. Awesome. Okay, um, so I had another tier to my argument, which is about how uh, colleges and uh, colleges are starting to get into esports and offering scholarships. There's also the financial aspects of all of these Overwatch leagues, and I have concerns about how the money is getting regulated. I, I actually, I want to table that, and I want us to delve into it more fully than we're going to have time to today. Uh, but so there's a little preview for anybody who was uh, tantalized by my esports hate. Um, colleges are giving out money f- for people to play Fortnite, and uh, uh, but okay. My point is, I'm I'm not enough of a uh, crotchety old man yet to not be okay with somebody enjoying something for the sake of enjoying it. So for for the issue of Andy hates virtual sport sports. I'm willing to say, you know what? Okay. If you like it, you like it. It's still not for me, but not everything has to be for everybody. I like the idea of titling the hate section of this episode. Andy hates sport, virtual sports sports or just virtual sports sports. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're, going to play with that. (laughs) Okay. I like that. And that's good. And we can talk about um, college Fortnite leagues specifically. We can deep dive it. Because that actually, I do have some interesting thoughts on that, um, as you do. Right. So we can we can deep dive into that at a later time. Absolutely. For now, uh, do we want to get into the, the relationship, the question? Yes, yes. So we have a relationship question. Um, and and this, uh, this one does need a little bit of clarifying. Okay. So... Uh, to be, to be frank, uh, this came to us from the meat space world, actually. Uh, and it comes from a friend of mine who has to be referred to as Bishop. Specifically, the Bishop from Aliens. Nice. I may be synthetic, but I'm not stupid. That was an important clarification because we are not talking about Bishop from the X-Men. Right. Or Catholic Bishops. <laughs> what were you going to say? I, I, you know, bef- when we did this before, we had another bishop, and I'm trying to remember, and I'm blanking. The bishops from chess. You said the bishops from chess, you goon. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, I, I can see why I forgot that. <laughs> we have had more chess references in this episode than I think we have in our entire relationship, Andrew. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, okay. So the core of Bishop's question is this. 
How do you tell your friend that their girlfriend or boyfriend or partner is cheating on them? Now, I asked Bishop to give me a little extra background on the questions. It's not the format we normally receive these in. So basically, uh, Bishop has had two separate occasions where he himself has been in relationships with significant others who cheated on him. And he learned after subsequent breakups that his friends knew about it, but didn't tell him. All essentially saying, how do you tell a friend that? Now, Bishop states outright that for him personally, he would have rather been told than suffer through learning the hard way. So the core question here is, how does a friend tell another friend that kind of hard truth, even when it's awkward, uncomfortable, or difficult? Right. So, I mean, my initial thought is you just do. Uh, I, I'm in the same exact boat as Bishop here um, in the sense that I would want to be told. And I think um, to to not tell your friend when you know about that, it, you know, you, you want to spare them pain, but you're actually doing them a disservice. You know, you're you're prolonging the pain by letting them be in this sham of a relationship. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to make my stance pretty clear. If, if you're cheating on somebody, it's a sham of a relationship. You know, you want you 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 want to be able to have the other person man up or girl up or whatever and tell them but if that person isn't and if they're cheating then probably morally they're not going to be super willing to come clean about this the, the burden falls on you and it is a burden. I'm not saying it's something that should be taken lightly or something that should be gotten over um you know i'm gonna say this if if uh if you find out that uh somebody's girlfriend is cheating on them you 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 grab your buddy and you uh you you open up a bottle of whiskey and you you give him some of the whiskey and then you tell him and if uh you you know if if your friend has her boyfriend cheating on her and you know it, you take your friend and you open up a bottle of whiskey and you give her some of the whiskey and you make sure she drinks it and you tell her <laughs> like it, it, it sucks. But my answer is you, you, you do. Um, yeah. yeah. I, so my thing my attitude on this uh, falls largely in line with yours. Uh, this is kind of a suck-it-up situation. And the thing is, that's that's really hard to put into practice. Yeah. Because uh, it, it involves being okay with a certain level of uncomfortable conversation. Uh, it involves being willing to put yourself out there. And you know what? This, this is important. It involves being willing to put your relationship on the line. And I mean your friendship. That's what I mean by that. Because I, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people are don't want to have conflict to begin with. And a lot of folks, especially if you don't necessarily know all of the dynamics, a revelation like that, especially if it's gone into haphazardly, 
can, but even if it's gone into perfectly, you could do everything right. You could, you could do the bottle of whiskey. You can present evidence, even. That's not necessarily a guarantee that your friend is going to react well. Sure. And you might possibly lose your friend over that. So you, need, you do need to make that decision, that active decision, is this worthwhile? Um, and you know what? If it's, if it's a deep, meaningful friendship, the answer should be obvious there. You know, it's part of having a close friendship is being willing to and able to have shitty conversations to be there for the shitty moments. Yeah. That's, that's the mark of a real friend. I absolutely agree. Uh, I mean, I, to, to look at it pragmatically, um, in the position of the friend who knows that their friend is being cheated on, um, when you know that one way or another, the relationship is likely over, whether it ends because you let the guy or girl know they're getting cheated on and that leads to a breakup. Or if it ends further on down the line, um, because of emotional issues or maybe the friend finds out some, some, other way or something. If you assume that the relationship is over by the time that the guilty party decided it's okay to do this to my significant other, really by having that uncomfortable, awkward conversation, you are saving time. You are, you are helping rip the bandaid off so that the wound can heal. I know that's a backwards metaphor, but, uh, you know, you, you are, you're, you're jumpstarting the healing process by giving that person the chance to end the relationship. And you hit on a good point. It's possible that, that your friend will not believe you or will not take it well. It's possible that the relationship will not end because I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I guess naive is the word enough. I'm not naive enough to think that anybody is just going to up and leave their, their, their significant over other over something like that, whether or not they maybe should, but by, talking about it by having that conversation, by telling the friend you're giving them the chance to begin getting out of this emotionally bad situation and get to something better, you know, in long, long term, finding someone who isn't going to cheat on them. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, in Bishop's case specifically, and, and I do know this because I do know him, um, you know, those relationships fell apart for myriad reasons, uh, not just the infidelity issue. And that was going to happen regardless. It was. Yeah. That, that's just a fact in this particular case. But, you know, you mentioned something that I think is important to know as a risk. Um, not everyone, not every relationship that has an infidelity ends in that way. In fact, I, this, there's, there's no... There, there's no, like, set-in-stone statistics that I've ever seen on this because I think because a lot of people just aren't honest, mm, necessarily. Sure. 
but but there's statistics out there that say anywhere between one and two thirds of all quote unquote standard monogamish couples will have some experience of infidelity. Yeah. And they don't all break up, you know? They don't, and, you know, infidelity is not the biggest reason for divorce, for instance. Even though the majority of married couples experience some kind of infidelity at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously there's a lot of gray area from one survey to the next as to what constitutes infidelity. All those asterisks and disclaimers there. Point is, you could be in this situation, you could tell the person, they could confront their partner, and let's let's be kind. Let's say that that causes them to have a confrontation about this, and then they start to seriously work on themselves, and they end up getting through this, and they stay together afterwards, you know? And could, and it's conceivable they could end up being healthier at the end of this it's conceivable that they could go get counseling they could go deal with a lot of the problems that they were having it could ultimately end up being a positive experience i'm not going to pretend that's the norm by any stretch of the imagination but for the sake of this hypothetical you as the friend who introduces that moment you introduce trauma to that relationship now it's possible that even if that's a good moment for them it ends up being a moment that's too painful for you to remain around in. You might lose your friend for doing this. And I would tell any anybody in this situation where the where your life is not at stake, you know, where maybe instead of, you know, telling your friend that they're in a situation of infidelity, you're maybe telling, you know, like you're I don't know, maybe you're telling your parent hmm. that there's infidelity or something like that. Ooh, um, I thought of that. I, it's a possibility, and it happens. That kind of shit that does yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I tell people, I tend to tell people, if your safety is not at risk, like, do do think about your safety, your well-being. Um, that, that shit just matters, you know, it does. Um, it, it's, it could also be complicated if you maybe live with them, you know, if this is a roommate situation. Those dynamics deserve to be considered. I, I would advise anyone to do that. But when I say they deserve to be considered, that does not mean you have carte blanche of all responsibility to your friend as far as doing right by them. Right. And in the majority of these cases, doing right by them will be accepting those risks, accepting that after this conversation with your friend, you might they might not be your friend anymore, and then doing the right thing. Right. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take your point and kind of look at it the other way. Maybe you don't tell your friend you knew about the infidelity. They find out later and then come to you wondering, why didn't you let me know? How could you do that to me? How could you keep that from me? So, you know, it can the the you can get hurt and cause an issue either way. But by telling the person, you are at least giving them that knowledge and you are you, you, you are being truthful and, and you are doing them a service in that way. Yeah. You know, uh, I because I know Bishop, I honestly think that had anyone confronted him with this knowledge, um, he would have been upset, but he would have taken it. 
and done something productive with it. Sure. Anyone else listening out there, I can't promise that. You know, we 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 don't know your situation, but and there are very few moral absolutes. Right. If there are any. And that's a whole other philosophical conversation, but in general, as a general principle, more truth in interpersonal relationships, more communication in those relationships is better than less. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and yeah. So, I mean, don't go in half cocked. Try and have, again, know what you're going to say. If you have evidence, you know, present it. Don't, don't, don't do this shit on a hunch. That's that's a stupid movie trope. Sure. That's a stupid romantic comedy yeah. thing. Like, you know, when you have the buddy who goes like, oh, she's moody, bro. That means she's cheating on you. Like, that's some corny bullshit that should not be given the weight of day. Um, ha- know what you're going to know what you're talking about. And don't don't ever do it on a guess or a hunch because you are. You know, when when you're a friend, there's a level of trust that should be involved in that. And you're. You know, I think that if you're a friend, you do have the right to intercede in on behalf of your friend's well-being responsibly. And responsibly me responsibly be mean, yeah. Excuse me. Responsibly means knowing what you're talking about, entering it intelligently, accepting the consequences of what may or may not come, even if it's undeserved. This might end up horribly. This is a situation where three people are together and it could very easily then end with three people all being alone. And if you understand that going in and look at it objectively, I still think it's in almost every case the right thing to do. So do it the best you can. Right, yeah, I I think... As usual, you summed it up perfectly, but, you know, the my (laughs) my last takeaway here is the specific question is, how do you have that uncomfortable conversation? How how do you tell somebody the hard truth, even when it's awkward, uncomfortable or difficult? You arm yourself with the knowledge that you are doing the right thing and you are working in your friend's best interests and you put your head down and go forward with that. And if you need a bottle of whiskey, then you bring a bottle of whiskey with you. And I and I one more thought on that. You the question asks, you know, how how does a friend tell another friend that kind of hard truth, even when it's awkward, uncomfortable, or difficult? We don't necessarily know the dynamics of any relationship. It's impossible to know everything that happens behind closed doors. Um, But I will say that this entire situation is inevitably awkward and uncomfortable and difficult. And parts of it could have very likely... Parts of it likely are not being dealt with in the relationship. Because rather than one person having an awkward, uncomfortable, or difficult conversation, they are instead choosing to act out in a manner like an infidelity. Right. So you have a choice in this matter. You can be like the person who's not having the conversation and is instead choosing to act in the worst way possible, or you can be better than that and address it 
despite all those caveats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, Bishop, we, we hope this helps answer your question and anybody listening who may be going through this kind of struggle, um, you know, obviously, of course, above all else, stay safe and consider the stakes as they go to you. But, you know, we, we, we hope this has helped. We're not relationship counselors by any means. We're, we're, no. <laughs> we're, we have no qualifications at all, guys, like none at all. And we're going to stress that until they take us off the air, but we have microphones and internet <laughs> connections. Those are our qualifications. But, uh, I, I do hope this has been helpful. Um, so that, that's that been our show. Uh, just a reminder, if you have a relationship problem with a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, r- really anything, any anything, any person you can have a relationship with, and you want our unqualified advice for some reason, uh, please go ahead and send your questions to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com, and we promise we'll read them. You can also tweet us at LHRPod, that's L-H-R-P-O-D, with your questions, and you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at Jovocop2113. And I'm a at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. You have a fantastic couple of weeks, and uh, as always, please tell your enemies. Mm-hmm.